Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. One note before we start the show, this podcast was recorded on November 18th when the Celtics were 7-8. and eight. Now enjoy the show. In this edition of Hoopsology, we have a special episode as we welcome the voice of the Boston Celtics radio network, Sean Grande. Grande explains his first basketball memories, expectations for the Boston Celtics, the Celtics fan base, the improvement of the Eastern Conference, and the challenges of broadcasting during the pandemic. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a member of the OTG Basketball Network. And now, Sean Grande. He is the voice of the Boston Celtics Radio Network. We welcome Sean Grande onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Sean? It's going. It's going. Appreciate you coming on to the show. And a lot of our first-time guests, we like to ask what sparked their passion for basketball. So I want to ask you, um, you can kind of take this question anywhere you want it, either your first basketball memory or your favorite basketball memory. Well, it's funny. I, you know, I had a passion for everything. I was lucky enough to grow up in New York and – so you you're you get everything. Everything is just you have your baseball and you have your football. And I was just a sports kid obsessed with everything. The basketball thing is interesting because the Knicks were not very good when I was a kid. It was not uh, and the NBA was not when I was a very young kid it was the really the down cycle of the NBA. It was easy to go to Madison Square Garden whenever you wanted to. Um, I was probably more of a Ranger fan than I was a Nick fan. It was hard to be a fan of both the NHL and the NBA because you kind of have to pick and choose. Yeah. But basketball is interesting because I grew up in Greenwich Village on Bleecker Street. And my dad sometimes would walk me down to, I lived two or three blocks away from the 4th Street cage, 4th Street and 6th Avenue, which is not the Rucker, but it's probably like the number two spot in Manhattan. You'd see like Nancy Lieberman and you'd see, you know, the great city players playing there. And my dad had a great appreciation for it. And, you know, I think it sort of started there. You know, play-by-play is a funny thing because... You don't get to pick and choose often whenever I speak to groups of kids who want to be sportscasters when they grow up. If I'm doing it in Boston, I'll say, how many of you want to be the voice of the Boston Red Sox? And, you know, 80 hands Mm -hmm. go off. I'm like, well, there's three jobs. There's two radio spots and a TV spot. So, you know, you may want to be the voice of the Boston Red Sox. You may end up being the voice of the Calgary Flames. That's how this works. And, you know, from a trajectory standpoint, it always seems if you go now, I'm jogging my memory because when you get old, as my son often reminds me of how old I am, you <laughs> have to say, well, what was going on? Like back in the 90s, my trajectory was towards hockey. Uh, there wasn't a lot of baseball to do at that time, but I always assumed I would be the voice of the Mets or the voice of the Rangers You know, when I grew up. And when I was sort of ready after a lot of years of college sports here and doing hockey and all the other stuff, the jobs that were open – that year in 1998, when I was 26 or whatever it was, the Nashville Predators were a new team in the NHL, an expansion team. And the other job that was open was the Minnesota Timberwolves TV job. And that's the one I got. And 25 years later, almost, you know, next year, a year and a half from now, it'll be 25 years. Wow. Uh, since I went, yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. When I went in a league that all of a sudden you realize like the sport that was probably captured your attention the least or had the least amount of your time 
that you could spend because my parents kept annoying me about going to school every day. Like that filled up so much time that I could have been spent on sports, but instead, me too. <laughs> so, but here it is, you know, almost a quarter of a century later. And I, I know that I'm living the first line of my obituary now, as, as you said, Sean Grandy is going to be remembered more likely than not as the voice of the Boston Celtics, no matter how many hockey games I do or baseball games I do or football games I do or MMA fights or boxing or anything I call, chances are that's going to be the first line. Can you kind of explain just the, the evolution of the game since you first got your first TV TV position um, to now in terms of players, just the, the product on the court, what you personally felt when you first called your first NBA game to what you're seeing now, just negatively, positively, just like kind of the evolution that you've seen the game from your perspective. Because I think you bring a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge in terms of what you kind of seen during that time span compared to just kind of the average fan that's sitting on their couch. That's a nice way of saying old, right? You're old. So what was it like when you were young versus now when you're old? Again, I'm, I'm all – I got a big birthday coming up with a zero coming up at the end, so everyone's kind of giving me a lot of grief. The, I, I think it's funny because I came in with Minnesota. And that was a team I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'd be willing to guess took eight to 12 threes a game, maybe, you know, at that time. Uh, I remember a game, one of the famous games I did as far as like one of my, probably my most famous moment in Minnesota was the Martin Luther King game at Target Center when Malik Seeley hit a three, capped the comeback, Timberwolves beat the Pacers. And my call that night, was three at last, three at last, because the Wolves hadn't made one. Try to imagine that in today's game. They had not made a three. Last night, uh, as we're talking now, the Celtics were in Atlanta last night, and Trey Young didn't make a three. And that was a big story, that one guy. Oh, my gosh, this one guy didn't make a three. Back then, it was it was a little unusual. Like, oh, my gosh, the Timberwolves haven't made a three, and then they finally make one to win the game. But that was, you know, and the Wolves were sort of late to the party as a franchise shooting the three but go back for for the fun of it if, depending on how you define fun go back and look at the nba box scores from the early 80s the three-point shot is in go back and look at the first five or six years and how few were taken and how people weren't very good at it when they did take it and versus now and talking about trey young it's interesting because about five years ago maybe even more in one of my pregame conversations with brad stevens i asked him with the proliferation of the three-point shot and the attempts going up and up and this isn't now where it's like 35, 40 again. This is five years ago when it's really starting to go up. And I said, do you think most sports are cyclical? You know, there's a 3-4 defense, and then there's a 4-3, and then there's a zone blitz and whatever, but eventually it all circles back and everyone keeps adjusting and just go around in circles. Will the NBA eventually go back to being a game in the post? And, you know, the way it was, and he said, you know, as opposed to everything being at the three-point line, and he said, and there was a prescient, comment at the time five six years ago he said no i think it's going to go the other way and i couldn't i'm like what do you mean the other way he goes be like where it is now which is the three-point line is just a suggestion and we're talking about guys coming into the league that you have to pick up at half court because they will not only take that shot they will make it and it's changed defenses and and even now as we talk in november of 2021 we're going through a significant revolution with the rules. Now the game is called and an adjustment that's made the game better um, and not, you know, awarded guys by as many free throws, but it's a constant evolution, but it certainly has changed quite a bit. And I'd say the three point shot is the first thing that, that you think of and that not just the distance of them, but that virtually everybody 
can take one. And tomorrow night, as we're talking, Rajon Rondo comes back to Boston. And here's a guy who's again at one point in this golden age of the point guard, he became the guy That's 10, right. 12 years ago. And very quickly, the game evolved to the point where it was difficult to have a guy who can't shoot on the floor. Celtics are dealing with that right now this year. So you mentioned the rules changes, and I, I think speaking as a fan, it's been a very positive outcome in terms of just watching the league you know, every night. Um, a lot's been made about some players struggling. Do you think this could be an instance of, I guess, that issue being overblown, for instance, with James Harden, and then you mentioned Trey Young, and I think they're highly skilled. I think they're eventually figured out. Do you think that's been blown out of proportion in the mainstream media in terms of them struggling with the rules changes, or do you think this is going to be a prolific issue that could – kind of you know be a factor you know later on in their career well it's funny because nine nine times out of ten 95 out of 100 things almost by definition are blown out of proportion that's what happens yeah. when there's a thousand podcasts and a million yeah. shows that have to be filled but this is actually something that is significant now harden i don't worry about because if you tell james harden the new rules in basketball are you have to play with your hands tied behind your back he will become the best guy at dribbling with his teeth <laughs> that there is because he will just adapt and evolve to whatever the game is. He will figure it out. I have no concerns about James Harden. What's really interesting for a guy like Trey Young, and I was talking about this with Ime Adoka last night, that I think Trey Young is going to become a better shooter now because you've taken that ridiculous stop in traffic to try to let the car behind you hit you, yeah. jump into somebody. Before. It's actually going to make him a better shooter because it's going to take that nonsense out of the arsenal. And now you just got to make the shot. And I think it's going to, you know, okay. So the guy who gets to the free throw line nine times a game will get there six times a game. Um, so he won't, he'll score two or three fewer points a game. And maybe that'll be tough for him. And we'll all lose sleep over that. Meanwhile, we'll get a much better game. And by the way, scores were artificially high because there were too many free throws. That's not how you want scores to be high. You want scores to be high because there's flow to the game. And what they've done this year is improve the flow. And is it just me, or I just sense like the games are a lot more competitive too? Like usually in the regular season, it's kind of like call me until Christmas break <laughs> happens in terms of really you know taking the NBA seriously in terms of how the you know the teams are working out. But now to see there's a lot of more competitive balance. Like this, really, you can't really take a night off anymore. You know, just early in the season. Am I wrong perceiving that, or do you think it's still really early and it's kind of like things are still working itself out? We're just kind of early into the season. It's it's still early in the season to figure it out, but I, I think that's fair in that we're, we're all, first of all, it seems trying to get back to normal. We're playing in front of fans again. I think that adds an element to it that we, you know, was sorely missing for a year and a half. But in both conferences, specifically in the East, this is in the 24 years I've been in, easily the deepest the Eastern Conference has ever been. And the point that these games early in the season, the, the biggest misconception about the NBA is that the game is decided in the final two minutes. The biggest misconception about long seasons is that the games don't really matter until after Christmas or down the stretch. Really? Because it seems like doing the math that the game on October 25th counts the exact same as the game on March 25th. And if you get behind the eight ball, particularly in the Eastern Conference here or in the West with the Lakers, for example, who are 500, despite 12 of their first 16 being at home, you've got a problem because there's so much, you know, there's competition now in the Eastern Conference. There's Orlando. And they just won this week at New York. So there's Orlando, you figure will be at the bottom. Detroit, you know, is going to be at the bottom. Depending on how you feel about Cleveland, I, I love their young talent. I'm not sure that it's sustainable that they can stay up 
in the top six, you know, for, for most of the year, I think they'll probably end up towards the bottom, but how many easy nights, is that still an easy night now going into Cleveland with yeah. Mo? Cause that Mobley's no. going to be here a long yeah, time, by the for way. Sure. That kid yep. is ready to play. Sure it's an Al Horford element where when Al Horford came in the league, the Hawks weren't necessarily that good. They didn't make the playoffs. And I was scared, scared the heck out of the Celtics that first year that, but you guys come in and they don't blink at the lights, you know, Scotty Barnes in Toronto, Guys are coming in like, okay, yeah, I'm not. If you, you know, scared, get a dog. I'm not. I'm not worried. This is the NBA, and I belong here. So uh, there are very few easy nights, is the point in the East and the West, which is not always the case. And now, even with the play-in, just to get to the top six to avoid the play-in, what are you going to have to win in the East? You know, the last time, by the way, I know this for a fact. I looked it up because I thought it was going to happen, and maybe this is the year it happens. The last team to win 50 games in the East and not get home court in the first round was the Hawks in 99. You got to go back to the last millennium, the last time a 50-win team didn't get home court. I can see that happening this year because there's so many teams that are going to be in that 48 to 51 range. But that's, I think, going to make these games more competitive. Uh, And also, the other element is more and more stars out. Guys are going to – there's COVID, there's injuries, more and more guys out, and that's more guys. Those games sometimes become more competitive. Because the the understudies play super hard because it's their chance to play. So what do you make of the the Boston Celtics and how they fit in in this new Eastern Conference that's so competitive? Um, As we're recording on this podcast, they're seven and eight, and it seems like they're they're starting to try to find their footing. What do you make of kind of Tatum and Brown? I know Tatum has had a hard season um, this this past season. Really, we had a good game against the Hawks despite losing. Uh, Where do you kind of make it as Boston Celtics team in terms of how they fit? And what are your kind of biggest concerns in terms of, you know, kind of red flags that you see now that could pop up when we head towards the playoffs? Well, it's funny. The Celtics and Lakers have the big national game as we're talking tomorrow night. And in a league in which we just talked about that is completely predicated on three-point shooting and on shooting, I'm not sure the Celtics or Lakers have enough shooting to be competitive to make the, the, deep, the runs that the most optimistic people think they're going to make. The Tatum thing was interesting because it was getting, it's getting pretty close to this being like a Space Jam thing with Tatum because it, it, he all of a sudden just not looking like himself at all at the start of the year. How much of that is because as we've watched Tatum evolve, there's always been – Al Horford, Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, all these guys around him. And now there's just Jalen and Jalen's missed the last few games. And all of a sudden it's Tatum is your number one offensive option by a mile. And obviously that's the first thing that that teams want to stop. So that's a factor. I think that people in Boston always, they always find a way to ratchet expectations up out of control. They just talk themselves into it. The Celtics last year finished seventh in the Eastern conference and on paper, they're sort of starting a new, new coach, new team president, new roster. Granted, they're older, which is a, a certainly a plus when you're adding Schroeder and Josh Richardson or yeah. whatever. You're older and Al coming back. That's a, a good thing in terms of experience. But why would you anticipate with other teams getting better, with Washington getting better and Chicago getting better, why on paper would you necessarily think the Celtics have improved their standing in the Eastern Conference. You can say, well, they'll be healthy this year. They lost the most games because of COVID last year. Tatum and Brown will be a year better. Of course, all those things could happen. But I think you have to start. People here just start assuming for some reason that they're going to be this elite team starting out. They were dead 500, seventh place Eastern Conference team last year. So what does better look like? They have to be, to stay seventh, they're going to have to be better yeah. because the East is better than it was. So I think to me, 
they look like when you look at the Celtics roster, it's a lot of plus defensive players on this team. And I think it's starting to now take form over the last few weeks of what we thought this team could be, which is it's somewhere between good and elite defensively and offensively. Are they going to be middle of the pack? Cause that's going to be good enough to win a lot of games, or are they going to really have trouble some night scoring? And we've seen a lot of that and a team that's shooting 32% from three in today's NBA is as hard as they play defensively and as well as they play defensively, it's going to be tough to win games unless they get some more offense in there. And remember them playing without Jalen Brown and Rob yeah. Williams. Last yeah. week. So you get those two guys back and the offense should be better. You mentioned defense. And I want to ask you when you, you deal with that kind of harsh truth to them, even though that might be reality, what is kind of their response in terms of dealing with that passionate fan base? I mean, yeah. is it is it sometimes frustrating for you just to be like, hey, this, these are the facts. This is the truth. And yet they just have these grand designs of like their team just automatically being in the NBA finals. Is that kind of difficult when you're just trying to lay out kind of the facts and the true projections of this team when you're dealing with the fan base that are just they want to hear like not the truth, but just kind of like a fantasy of what they could be. It's a really good question. And it can be. And Cedric Maxwell and I from time to time over the years have been the guys who will make fancy their vegetables once in a while, even if they, they don't want to. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, particularly because, and again, this is, this is entertainment. So on the television side, particularly with the late great Tommy Heinsohn, who I was so fortunate to spend decades with and learning from, but Tommy did his shtick and Mike and Tommy on TV were doing a Homer telecast and they were presenting it a certain way. So it was almost honest. Part of our obligation when we first started together in 2001 was to sort of create something different anyway. And from time to time, the crazy super fanatic, I mean, it's different when you've been here for 20 years, they know us and they know what yeah. we do, but there are times that they, there are the very vocal minority that get, annoyed when we dare say that LeBron is one of the greatest players ever to play when you when you call it like it is. And I have a national network flair to what I do, which is calling it. This is the reality. This is the, this is what's actually happening now. But the secondary part of that has to do with what's happened in Boston. And over the last 20 years, I come back here from Minnesota in 2001. And in my first year here with Max, the Celtics go to the conference finals out of nowhere. They'd missed the playoffs for six years in a row. Hadn't been in the playoffs in seven years and don't just make the playoffs. They go to game six of the conference finals. There's the Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker comeback. They're up 2-1. They've got home court in the conference finals to go to the NBA finals here. And when they lost, the city wanted to have a parade for that team because they went to the conference finals. In fact, things were so bleak in Boston there had been a parade the year before for a player who had won a championship in another city, the city wow. you're sitting in right now when Ray Bork won the Stanley cup, they had a parade for him here because the feeling, well, this might be as close as we ever get right to the still, they had a parade for him. So that was the, the mindset here. Now flash forward 20 years, you've got six super bowls. You've got four world series. You've got Celtics championship, the Bruins Stanley cup, Bruins and Celtics have been to the finals several other times. Celtics and the Patriots in three other Super Bowls. So suddenly, flash forward, to, flash back to a year and a half ago in the bubble, the Celtics lose Kyrie, they lose Horford, they lose Morris, they lose Rozier, and they go to the conference finals anyway. It's one of the most underappreciated Celtics teams in history. Third best team in the NBA. Second best team maybe the third best Celtics team in the last 30 years after 08 and 09 where, where Garnett got hurt. 
And people were not again vocal minority. People were almost spitting on it. Conference finals because they end part because they lost to Miami, not to Milwaukee. Conference finals. So we're about championships here. Okay, but there's 30 teams, and that was I, I use that now again being old. That's a 20 year snapshot difference in going to Game Six of the conference finals and the reaction to it and the expectations, and that's what happens when you overperform. And for under Brad, Brad Stevens, for the first five six years. Every single year, they went farther than they should have. And out of nowhere, starting again from scratch after the Pierce Garnett trade to Brooklyn, you started from scratch. And for five years, from the middle of Brad's second year, till early last season, really for six years, like early 2015 to early 2021, the Celtics were a top five team in the NBA. But people here just want more, expect more. And they don't want to hear it when you say, why don't you ask people in Sacramento? Why don't you ask people in Minnesota? Why don't you ask people how they would feel about going to the conference finals? Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're you're exactly right. And to that point, I want to ask you: Do you think Tatum and Brown? Do you think do they feel disrespected because of that kind of environment? And because they've had tons of success. I mean, this yeah. is not a team that's. I think, like you said, underperformed. They've been pretty phenomenal in, in recent times. But, yeah, I just feel like both, like you said, from a local standpoint and nationally, they're just getting mud slug at them. <laughs> just kind of, um, no, and the answer is no, because they have Tatum and Brown. Those guys are, are young men who have great expectations sure. of themselves, and they expect sure. to play for championships, and they, they want it, and whatever. This is the yeah sort of the telltale year for them now, because the great dilemma in Boston is you have two stars. So – a third star should do it. The question is, which is unanswered. There's no definitive answer yet, but we have to get an answer to the question. Do Tatum and Brown replicate each other too much? Or can those two plus a third star win? Or do you need to change one of those two because they're too similar? Um, I want to ask you, Sean, about Marcus Smart's comments. And I heard you on a podcast, and I thought you had a were very insightful in terms of Marcus Smart just being honest and just, you know, it was his question was asked in context. And I just want to ask you from a sports media con from a sports media perspective. You know, we're seeing a lot of long form podcasts. We're seeing, you know, the players having more of a voice. Do you see, it may almost be an overly optimistic. Do you see a day that, you know, the hot takes and just like the daily just banter between two just talking heads kind of going away? And instead of sports fans engaging in more in thoughtful conversation, in context to the Marcus Smart situation, that if we do encounter that in years, you know, following that, it won't be a big deal. That people will understand context, and that people won't blow that out of proportion as it was when that actually happened. No, it won't go away because nothing's going to go away. We're just going to get where we had six channels when I grew up, and then it became thirty channels with cable. Now there's a thousand channels, and eventually there'll be two thousand channels. So the stuff, the hot takes aren't going to go away. You're just going to have more different ways to take them all in and different, you know, different ways. The, uh, if you like, you want to get page clicks on this Grandy questions, whether Jalen Brown and Tatum fit together, right? Because I brought up the question. So you can take whatever you want and make it whatever you want. I, I'm not, sometimes people interpret when I reference the talk shows or whatever that I'm being negative about it. I came up through that environment and working on those shows and I understand how they work and I have no qualms whatsoever I, I wish people understood that it's show business yeah. and that sometimes it's difficult. If you're in my job, I believe 
you have to be what I call bilingual. Okay, you have to be able to speak that language too. And you have to know that the audience you have, you're calling the game and you're telling the story of what's actually happening. And you're behind the scenes and you're traveling. So you understand, but also you have to know that you've just been subjected, you potentially have people listening have just been subjected to 10 hours of hot take theater. So, and that's, that's what pays the bills and it's great and it's entertainment. It's more people talking about the team, but you have to be able to speak that language and understand what people are talking about. On the other hand, to know Marcus shouldn't have said what he said, not because he wasn't being honest or he wasn't right. Listen to what he actually said, which is that it's going to be what Marcus Smart said was that those guys are going to be better players. It's going to be easier for them when they get better moving the ball. That's exactly right. It was a reason take. And he was answering the question on the one hand, is it Marcus's job or is it not to know that what the talk shows and hot take theater are going to do with that head? Marcus Smart says they need to pass more. And that, because that becomes its own thing where people say, man, you'll get texts from people. Man, Marcus said, my Marcus said they need to pass more. I'm like, you didn't listen to what he said. Right. And stop me if this sounds familiar to what we've all been living through for the last year and a half regarding our country, regarding the issues, regarding science or vaccination. It's like Marcus did. Yeah, I know what Marcus said. I did my own research. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah, you didn't. And you don't know what research is. Like, did you publish it? Did you publish a paper on Mark and a you know a dissertation of Marcus Smart's comments and what he was asked and what he actually said? Did you publish it? Have you done multiple research projects of how the vaccine has affected hospital? No, you didn't. You didn't do your own research. You got to post on your personal Facebook page, and now that's what you. That's fine, but at some point, uh, you know, being the voice, nobody necessarily wants to hear the voice of reason. But if I'm asked about the Marcus Smart thing, I'm going to answer honestly, which is this is the thing. Yeah. That said, but I probably would have said if I'm in PR, as Marcus, don't say it because it's not worth it. It's not worth the trouble that comes with it. Sean, um, one last question before I let you go, and because I'm just a, a media nerd and I love just the the, the behind the scenes uh, broadcasting, and you kind of went into detail again on, on a previous podcast about you know commentating in terms of being you know in the arena compared to um, doing it remotely. And I just want to ask this might be a stupid question, but I'm just wondering, just you know, these are unprecedented times, and I never thought the NBA would just be postponed or in a bubble. So I guess anything is possible. And I just want to ask you: Is there any way that the league can kind of prepare for a scenario that we saw in 2020 and 2021 in terms from a broadcasting perspective, in terms of still making it, giving you the best resources to provide the best product to your audience while keeping your safety, you know, in mind too? Or is this going to be, if this happens to happen again, which I think anything is possible, <laughs> do you think, hey, the product is just, just going to suffer in terms of you might have to just re do games remotely? I mean, because you mentioned just, just the struggles of that. So I'm just wondering, do you think if, we, if the league runs into the situation again in the future, is there any kind of a way to make it sure that you have the resources to provide just the audience the best product for yourself to make sure that you're doing the best job possible? Well, evolve or die. That comes with every single thing you do. Yeah. People ask me about, and I'll, I'll get to that because it's an important question. Uh, just a very small example of how I would prepare for games. Some people get, it's very easy, particularly when you get older, to do things the way you've always done it. The way I do it is the best way. And I'm not going to just the way. I used manila folders for years. And I had one for each game. And I had a system to how I did it. 
Um, I started doing five years ago, six years ago. Now I took a crazy jump off a professional cliff and started doing something I had never done before, which was MMA. And I started calling fights and I had to come up with a different way to prepare. So I bought like a big art sketchbook and kept each fight in that book. And that way I had each, the previous fighter when I would have them again, I had the page from their previous fight. And I got through, you know, did that for a couple of years. And I thought, I wonder, you know what, instead of carrying all these middle of folders around and picking which ones I want to take on any given trip, what if I used a single book for a season for the NBA and started taking the things that I put on the middle of folders and use like a card to do the other team. And like, you know, I play by play scores. I keep track of the game and the, the forms that I use and the sheets that I use for the numbers and whatever. And now Long story short, I'm four or five years into using books. So I have a book for each season. It was just a change. You keep your mind open. Doing games remotely is a disaster in pretty much every way there is because you cannot cover a team if you're not with the team. That said, Max and I did the best we could over the last couple of years. It was different with access. Like I could text Brad Stevens, whatever I want. You know, I could just fire and fire off a text if I needed a question answered or something like that. But we have announcers in the league, veteran announcers, who had, say, a new coach. And in Chicago, my friend Chuck Swirsky, longtime voice of the Bulls, he hadn't met Billy Donovan. They never met. Wow. And he was coaching the team all last year. So you can't do the job that way. Are there bits and pieces of this? The, the video wall that, you know, where you had fans reacting live at home and later WWE incorporated that. That's during, right. Uh, during the pandemic and did this amazing thing. It's nothing substitutes for the live crowd. Uh, but here's an example of something. So everything started to be on Zoom, obviously. And then, you know, pre all the press conferences. I know reporters like to have access to players and things like that. And hopefully some of that will come back. But coaches, for example, the coaches pregame. Sometimes you have to run around a building to go from one to the other. And then I'm racing back to my spot to record my thing. The coaches pregame media sessions being on Zoom is an example of something that came out of the pandemic that makes our jobs better and our jobs easier to do. There's lots of things like that. So if we just pay attention, we can take from you know the situation into which we were thrust and take bits and pieces and not just say, oh my God, thank God the pandemic is over when it finally is over and we can just move back to our lives the way they used to be. Well, wait a minute, what did we learn? What can be better? And it's like making the game, like we started talking about how the game is better now than it was. Broadcast can always be better. I hope 50 years from now, the broadcasts that I've done in all the different sports, that they look primitive and whatever. Yeah, he was great. He was good. But I was, like in his time, back in the 20s, in the early, you know, 20, you know, 21st century, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He was, but it's gotten much better. Hopefully everything evolves. And, uh, you know, we, you have to keep your eyes open. The minute you close your eyes to something new, that's evolve or die. That's true. Totally agree. Sean, appreciate the time. Keith, please let our audience know where they can find you on social media, um, where they can catch your broadcast, anything else you want our audience to know as well, any projects or any of the uh, maybe MMA fights are calling coming up. It's like a talk show. Well, hey, you can, you can check me out in the new Kevin Garnett documentary on Showtime <laughs> that uh, premiered last week, uh, which is obviously, by the way, you should watch it. Everybody should watch the Kevin Garnett documentary. For sure. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. But yeah, I, I always hesitate because I think, uh, you know, not if you're just going to be mean on social media, I'm not going to give it up. But uh, Sean Grandy PBP is where I've always lived on on Twitter. And uh, uh, Twitter's a fascinating, that's a great example, by the way, of when it first became prominent, 
a lot of announcers in the league were like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I was like, you know what? There's certainly plenty of downside to it, but I use it. You know, I've done TV for years. Switching to radio, you don't have graphics. You don't have statistics that you want to you describe. So I use it that way. I sort of make, I build my own TV graphics that I would use if I were doing the game on TV and I can put them on Twitter because people are, the idea that people are sitting around the kitchen table and they just have the radio on and they're moving little basket, little, little Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum pieces around as I call the game. I, I get that that's not, that's not happening. Um, but you just want to provide people as much information and different content as, uh, as possible, whether it's a podcast like this or uh, a tweet with a, a stat about how Marcus Smart had a better three-point shooting percentage than Larry Bird his first five years. People go crazy when they hear that one. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, use everything you can to reach as much of the audience as you can. That's simple. I appreciate you coming up to the show, Sean. Thank you very much. You got it.